Oh, man. It's never just one thing. <laughs> you want me to still say it? The long story short is that as parents, um, we go through like various battlefields and minefields during the day. And a lot of it is hurtful and harmful. And we have to come home and we have to compartmentalize it, but we don't really compartmentalize it for it to disappear. It like, it becomes part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. It's those silent like scars and wounds that are not fully resolved. And then when we are trying to make a meal with our kid and our kid is irritating us because they are, they're going to, um, it's like, why are we irritated? Is it that thing that we can't talk about because that wound is so painful? Is it because our kid is being our kid? Is it because we're exhausted? Like, self-care isn't just getting sleep. <laughs> self-care in a system that is completely problematic is, like, complicated. And I, and that's what the piece that I'm missing. I don't know... Uh, I don't I don't know about the work of being um, an advocate and a healer and um, and trying to like separate that from being a parent when I come home because it's all me. So I am Trish. Um, I think there are so many different like social locations um, or ways in which I can identify myself. Um, but I think the main, places or main locations of which how I orient in the world is that I am a cisgendered woman and I'm in a hetero looking monogamous relationship and um, I have two daughters and I am a midwifery student Um, and I guess um, I guess my whole purpose and kind of what encompasses my journey through life is just trying to be the best person or the best version of who I can be for myself and for my girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's okay to share, you also have a very successful um, blog Instagram account that keeps you busy on top of all the other responsibilities <laughs> <laughs> that you do. Yeah, I have, um, I have currently like I'm micro blogging with uh, in- through Instagram mainly uh, and it's called Confess of a hustling mama and um, I hope for that to evolve in a bigger meaningful uh, way over time one well, I'm just letting it roll out organically but yeah I'm mainly on Instagram but do you have a method do you have a method to your madness or is it... I don't know I, I think the biggest thing for me is I'm just having fun yes that's like the biggest secret is like I don't give a shit about the time of day I don't care if I don't days. I don't care if I don't post for a whole week. Um, I don't follow a lot of those rules of like, you got to be this involved and you got to do that. And I'm like, if I'm on, I'm on. And when I'm taking a break, I'm taking a break and I don't feel bad. And I only post when it, when I actually was honest, like I don't post for the sake of posting so that people know I'm like here. I post because what I'm saying, I actually believe in. So we talk like you and I have talked a lot about um, self care, or we've uh-huh. at least you know ch- um, mentioned it, and the challenges of being a parent, juggling many hats, and actually practicing uh-huh. self care. Um, uh-huh. I don't know what do you what are your thoughts on that? Um, 
I was saying this to you before, like for me, balance, self-care, the hats, it's all kind of a moving target. And um, I think, um, I think it's, it's challenging again, like using the term social location, I think in a lot of ways that can be really challenging to juggle those hats and practice self-care when you are trying to keep a roof over your head and trying to just get basic meals on the table, not just in terms of cost, but even like your own personal energy to get up and do those things. Um, You know, I'm fortunate that I have a partner and some people are doing all of the things without a partner. Um, I, we don't have a lot of family in the city that we're in. And so that creates its own challenges in terms of finding space for yourself. And then when I think about self-care and juggling, um, another thing that comes to mind is like, what are our perceptions of what self-care even means? And I find like, even that's challenging because we seem to attach self-care to activities and items that require money and um, which requires access in a lot of ways, like going to a spa, going to um, get your nails done, get your hair done, go to the movies. I mean, for some people, spending that $20 on getting your nails done is a really big deal um, because it's not just $20. It's $20 for the nails. It's your gas or bus fare to get there. It's your childcare so that you can do it, especially if you don't have family support so you can just drop your kid off uh, to hang out with. Um, And so all that adds up. And um, so people don't even have the time because they've got two jobs. So having a bubble bath is really a luxury that almost we're we're in a way shaming people with the self-care culture right now. And so what I'm learning or trying to work through is bringing self-care back to Um, like loving yourself and listening to yourself and acknowledging what you actually need. And to me, when I hear that, and I know it's a challenge for a lot of us, um, is slowing down just enough to be able to listen to that. Um, Sometimes breathing and actually just spending time being able to breathe is all that is the self-care that you can do for the moment. And you shouldn't feel bad for that being the way that you manifest your self-care. Well, you know, like I was, I, I'm really resonating, I think with, with when you brought that up, because I was thinking about the privilege of self-care as we know it through the media, like Uh me as, as a, you know, um, when I'm going through the internet, I'm reading, um, we should be giving ourselves massages or going for massages or uh-huh. um, eating chocolate or taking time to spend to yourself to, I don't know, let's say like watch a movie. And I'm like, all those things that sound so amazing. I would love to do it. <laughs> but, they are well, amazing. Let's right, be honest. <laughs> right. But then, but then it's like the, the privilege to be able to do it. And specific, I mean, for me personally right now, cause I'm parenting on my own, um, while my partner has gone to work. Right. So I was thinking of my, uh-huh. my, my experience as a solo parent previously, that privilege of being able to like go for a massage or take time to myself. Like I would feel bad because it's like, I can't go do those things. And what yeah, you, what like, it- Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. It's just what what I feel like what you're talking about. Um, it the self the notion of self care. It's like it's totally shifting 
what self-care means. And yeah. it's a very abstract concept. I think it's hard for people to understand if they never practice it. Cause like emotional self-care, like what does that actually feel like and look like? Yeah. Well, I, cause I feel like this, like, especially when you're talking about social media, the internet and what they're promoting as self-care. Part of why I struggle with that too is, I mean, this is me going on a bit of a side tangent, but it also speaks to like the consumer culture, the materialism culture, and like the whole buy and do things to make yourself feel better and fill those holes that you know you're longing to fill because it's like it's easier to slap on a beautiful nail polish. And this is not to diss getting your nails done because I love to get my nails done. But at the end of the day, if you're still an exhausted parent who is literally crawling from moment to moment and you can't be present with your kids or present with your partner if you have one or even just present to enjoy a meal, like then that nail polish is a Band-Aid solution for a bigger thing that needs to be worked on. And um, and I just find that really challenging, um, this uh, this idea of like, getting a massage is going to fix the problem. And I mean, I was going to interrupt you um, accidentally earlier, but when you spoke about massage, that reminds me of Christmas that just passed. I booked an appointment to get myself a massage and, you know, I'm a student who is going into a um, placement that I won't be able to work. And I was feeling really, 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 really guilty for booking this appointment because I knew it was going to cost me $100 to get a massage. And every dollar counts when I'm trying to save up for tuition for my next term. And I also remember that I spent September through up to that point having major migraines for weeks on end and headaches for weeks on end and neck problems and shoulder problems and low back problems. So I couldn't afford to take care of myself during that time. And I knew I needed to take care of myself, but I was feeling really almost irresponsible with my money for actually spending it on myself because I knew there were other needs. So um, it's a fine balance and it's a, it's a, it, the culture of self-care in social media, I find that it, it can be, um, it can be shaming in a way that I'm sure most people don't intend to be or um, uh, the privilege that like you, like you said, like there's a level of privilege that people don't realize that they're, putting on other people who are just trying to get by well first of all i think i think you're one of those few um black female bloggers on instagram who are portraying um images that are are that are given alternative i think to the very uh, other very popular instagram accounts out there that are are typically run by you know um well, I mean, maybe white it's a woman? white middle class. Yeah, I guess we can name it like it is, right? We know each other. It's all good. It is what it is. <laughs> like, what's your experience moving through that space? And then also your experience moving through the world trying to practice self-care? Mm. Um, so uh, what's really interesting, let me preface all of this by saying, and you you know this, um, uh, of me, I interestingly enough, I'm a very private person. Um, I'm working on sh shifting that in some ways. Um, 
but I find with social media uh, in particular, it's it's really challenging because I know that there is a um, do I want to use the word veneer? There's a facade, there's a mask, a cover, whatever word you want to use to social media that um, people don't necessarily want to show the mess. They don't want to show the hard stuff or the struggle. But I know in some ways that's changing. Um, but the authentic that people show is kind of a white, middle class, two beautiful kids, gorgeous partner in a nice home um, with all the things and the time. Oh, always love to cook all of these beautiful pictures. And it's, it's definitely not a knock on those people because however they figured out how to get it, uh, I mean, amazing. But then there's this whole other world of moms who um, they feel awful because they can't do that. They can't get there. Their kids won't eat those amazing meals. Their um, kids are always dirty because that's how they play. And they don't wear these beautiful beige and white, cute, gorgeous, probably expensive outfits. And, um, and I want to dispel that. Like what's interesting is that they're like, I don't, um, I don't love where we live for a variety of reasons. And, you know, I felt a period of time where I felt like ashamed. Like I was like, I can't take any pictures of my home. I can't take any, like this angle doesn't look good. And this angle doesn't look good. And I wish I had a home that, you know, looked like this particular person on social media. And it kind of went down that vortex for a little bit and, and came to a point where I was just like, my life and their life are two different lives. Like I have no idea how they came by what they came by. I don't know where they live because affordability can be very different. Like the money can stretch far further than it does where I am in particular. Um, and so I had to just shift my whole narrative and perspective around what I was seeing on social media. And I want to be able for people to feel like, that they are seen and they're, that they're not alone. And so uh, it's important to me that what I put out there is speaking to the, the good, the bad and the ugly and, you know, uh, and everything in between Um, in terms of social care or self-care rather as a black mom. I mean, I mean, it's so interesting that question because um, I feel like, I let me preface by saying years ago I took I used to have therapy sessions with a white woman and there were various incidents and I remember it was the first time I was able to articulate my blackness in a way that she was trying to dismiss like oh this particular situation that you've said about it's not because you're black and I was like I I can't pretend I'm not black. Like everything that I do in my life is a reminder that I'm black. When I go to class and all my classmates aren't black and everybody is, or the majority of people are white, or when I go to work and the majority of people are white, or when I go here and the majority of people don't look like me or sound like me, or, you know, like there's so many ways in which I am constantly reminded that I'm black, even if I'm not trying to do the whole I'm black (laughs) kind of, projection you know onto the world like the world is telling me that I am black by being different and um and so being a black mom and self-care a lot of it is tied into 
being a mom in and of itself because I know that my children are black and I know that our experiences could be very different, but um, I know that they look to me as an example. So it's really important for me that I am doing my work because the world is going to remind my children that they're black and it may not all be positive. It may not all be negative. Um, but I need to, I need to do my work in order to be the best parent I can be because I know that they're going to need that parent at some point because the world's going to tell them that they're black. The last thing I'll say, um, is the other thing that I'm aware of is in, in being able to have conversations and healing about racism that you experience personally, that you witness by proxy and, and, and hear from other people, um, is not being afraid to have those conversations with my kids. Um, obviously it's catered to what age they are. Um, and it doesn't have to be around race itself, but more about empowering. Sometimes that's what it needs to be so that kids, um, can feel a sense of like safety and, and security and who they are that can, I don't know. I, I don't have any proof that that is, but my gut says that that is part of the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> it's funny because it's, um, as people often ask, like, um, you know, why do people of color or queer people of color need specific resources or different resources? And, um, it like, even the fact that we have to to think about these topics and then how to approach it with our kids, um, I think I think it's like it's a total indication, right, of like why um, why the, the world doesn't move in a way that we would per- like we would prefer not to have to think about these things, but we do, <laughs> right? So it's 100%. like like it's like I don't know. Does Frozen affect? Uh, other little uh, like you know like white girls in the same way that it would um girls of color where maybe they suddenly don't want their ethnic name and they want to be called Elsa or Anna or I don't know when I was a kid I wanted I wanted to change my name to Angela (laughs) like um you know like like those conversations become so different I think when we when we actually think about how our personal experiences affect everything Mm-hmm. And it, it speaks to what you like privilege, like privilege still shows up here. I obviously I am not white, white identified and I don't have white children. So I would imagine I, I can't answer this fully well or fairly, but we all can say if you're willing to look at what's in the media, what's on social media, what's in our movies and our books, like the whole bit, or even just like how teachers are teaching the material most of the content that they're teaching is with white faces, white bodies, white names, white cultural experiences, white food, like it's music that is not necessarily um, like I, I, I knew who the bare naked ladies were, but that wasn't in my world. Like it was a lot of my white classmates growing up listening to the bare naked ladies. Like, I mean, and it's, it's just, so to come back to what you're saying, like, I think it's, um, 
it's they probably don't have to think about it because it's their normal. And I think why there's like a, a backlash now in terms of why do you have to talk about it? Why do you have to bring it up? Not everything is about race is because it's never for them. It never had to be because it was their normal. Their race was what was normal. And the truth is, is that's not what's normal, at least not in North America. <laughs> like it is a way more diverse world than what we're projecting onto social media. So the conversations need to be had and the narrative needs to be shifted. Yeah. That's that's why one of the reasons why I like your Instagram account a lot is that um you know it's very accessible. Like it talks about it talks about the imperfections I think that we all feel. Um uh-huh. and you know it doesn't it doesn't always have specific um content on like race or queers anything like that but there's something that I think universally people can identify with you know which is why you got that yeah. that many kind of that that the popularity <laughs> of that account is quite high <laughs> well it's interesting you say that about my social media because if you look at um most of my pictures if my pictures are depicting a person most of them are people of color um and part of that was intentional it was um like social media and everywhere there is enough spaces for white moms. There is enough spaces for that and they should have their space. No one is saying to stop your space or, you know, diminish yourself or make yourself small. Um, But I know when I'm going on social media and I'm looking for those moms of color, they're harder to find. Um, whether it's because they're posting, they're not posting, they're not hashtagging. I'm not going to, I can't, it can be all of those things and, and some a whole bunch of other things, but I, I can't find them. There's some, they do exist, but they're far and few between in comparison to white moms. And, um, and what I appreciate is that while one thing that puts us all together under the same hat is that we're all just trying to be the best parents that we can be. And we make mistakes all the damn time. And so that is kind of the place that I speak to. I'm not afraid to talk about the rest of it. Um, it's, um, but I, but I also, um, I am also aware that like some of the struggles that I may face as a black mom, a white mom may not face, um, um, South Asian mom may not face, um, but we all want our kids to eat healthy, grow up, be potty trained and get good grades in school and just be functioning adults. So <laughs> it's like, it's a bit of both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess it's a bit, it's a lot like the the Me Too movement, right? It's like, it's not, it's not yeah. saying that um, white women don't have their place in talking about, um, you know, the violence that been, has been inflicted on women's bodies. It's just... It's just asking, though, that um, that that space includes all kinds of people and, and, and not just uh-huh. uh, one one kind of uh, one kind of Instagram account that you may be seeing all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really intrigued by because that Me Too movement was started by a woman of color, as was the Women's March. And um, I always find it fascinating and I haven't quite articulated my um, my thoughts entirely around it, but I just find it so fascinating that it could be women of color who start these things. And yet it's only when a couple of white women take it on or like 
like become like a part of it that all of a sudden it snowballs. And I mean, yes, you can say racism and yes, you can say anti-blackness or all of these terms, but I find it interesting that we know these terms and we know these issues and the systemic problems are still there and it still shows up that way. And I, I want, I want to, I want to dismantle that. And I, I'm just going to keep at it until I somehow make headway. (laughs) (laughs) Till we burn out and no longer have any, any energy, which happens every day for me at 8 PM. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, the one thing I will say though about um, black woman parenting and self care, um, and I'm seeing a lot of it more so now than I mean even five years ago, is how much of the work is put on the shoulders of women of color, and again with that like Me Too and the Women's March movement, and um, yet they're not credited, yet they're not acknowledged. Um, they're forgotten. They're not included in the media pictures. They are, you know, forgotten from the storylines. Their names aren't remembered. Um, and why I'm mentioning that now is because, I mean, I don't know those two, like the people involved specifically in Me Too or in um, in the Women's March or even Black Lives Matter. But a lot of the women who are doing this work still have to go home. And they have their own families, whether it's children, partners, parents, grandparents, aunties, like they still have to go home and they still have to take care of themselves or take care of others. So there's this extra burden that I find women of color have to experience because they are like doing a lot of the groundwork, being the ones putting themselves out to the forefront to say like, this is a problem or this is what I've experienced and then they are silenced from and, and removed from the same work that they initiated um, or their work is credited to somebody else. And yet they still have to go home and somehow erase that so that they can make dinner and put their kids to bed and show up the next day and do it all over again. And it's it's that piece of the self-care that I haven't quite figured out. So you're saying like you haven't quite figured out how what that piece of the self-care looks like, right? Yeah, I, I haven't. And I haven't either. Because <laughs> I've experienced that like just as a, like just as a student and um, being in the healthcare world and seeing how white bodies are portrayed and how poorly people of color are portrayed in medical material and or the examples that they give of of either or and um and speaking up to that, you know, like I've been in my program long enough and I really like I dig my classmates and um, and I dig my teachers. And it's 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 like it's a mind fuck because like they are these people that you admire, that you appreciate, that you would want to work beside, that you want them like in your corner. And then you all know that there's a problem with the material or with the systems. You've talked about it. You've debated over it. You're still the person who has to speak up and put yourself out there, risk your grade, risk your name in your career. And then, and, and then you're doing that on your own and you're waiting for people. You're waiting for those people to like jump in who, you know, know this stuff. And, um, and I have compassion for those people because you know that they're going through their own stuff, right? Like their own, their own struggle of speaking up 
this is this is where well forgiveness self-forgiveness comes in right it's like um we've done the work we're burnt out we come home we're not the best parents sometimes in that moment because emotionally we're drained there's that Uh self-forgiveness piece and then there's also how do we build better resilient networks and allies um so that Uh uh community is strengthened for um for people doing uh, a lot of maybe sometimes the extra emotional burden, right? Um, uh-huh. So there's that there's that piece too. I mean, I get it. I, I agree. I think uh, I think you know we've we we've been through the same class and we we've seen the work that needs to be done. <laughs> it gets exhausting. Um, yeah. You know, I say it, but I it's not easy because as a parent, we're really hard on ourselves. I think if I if I accidentally yell at my kid because I'm so tired, God, I feel bad. It's like, you know, I feel like yeah. shit. And then it's like, how do I heal from that? And then how do I heal from this jackass, like, person who said, you know, like, race doesn't matter or something like that. So there's all these levels of um, self-care, taking time for ourselves and really moving yeah. through a, a lot slower um, yeah. than the pace that we're used to. Well, and the thing, and I'm so glad you said that because part of, like, the complicatedness of self-care and and slowing down is that we are we're in a world that is so busy that it's almost like you know that that wound or that problem or that thing you need to unpack is actually bigger than the 20 minutes that you have to deal with it or the five minute drive from here to there and so it's like how how can you heal work through self-care in bite-sized pieces in a way that still feels nourishing and safe um, and it, I, I, the one thing I keep coming back to is that if nothing else, we have our breath, if nothing else, and maybe that like inhale and exhale, that one inhale and exhale, that smallest pause that you can take can be the thing that will shift everything. And like every second is an opportunity to create a totally different perspective. And I know that that's a little hokey and a little easier said than done for sure. Um, but I still believe in that because some of us don't have the capacity or the money or the support systems to let us go and get a massage for a hundred dollars. Some of us really only have the tool of our breath and, and those four court, four moments, four minutes or whatever, sitting in your closet, hiding from your children. Cause that's what <laughs> I'm doing that right now. <laughs> I'm literally I'm in a closet. I do it. I do it. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend. I hide in a closet and I literally will take those five seconds and I'll breathe. And if I need to cry, I'll cry. And I'm afraid to cry in front of my kids. Like that's not like my issue, but sometimes I just need to do it by myself. And I will let them call for me and I will let them like, get marker on the wall if that's what it means like to me being able to have five seconds of breathe is way more important than having to wipe that wall 10 minutes oh my gosh. Um, you're making um, me feel so much better because i spend a lot of time in closets <laughs> <laughs> yes i do i do i really 100 percent, i do it and i used to feel bad and now i don't because you know what happens i open that closet door and i feel more stable and I feel less reactive. Yes. And I feel like 
Love again. My sweetest stolen moment. Yeah, I feel like me again. And my kids don't get to get, like, I think our kids have to experience, not have to. I think it's important that we don't pretend with our kids. Like, if we're angry, we're angry. If we're frustrated, we're frustrated. They learn from those experiences. Um, But there's also when I'm irrational and I know it's not about them. And I know it's not like it's not for them to take on. I find myself in a closet and I deal with it on my own. I really feel like you and I need to give a workshop to parents yes. spending time in the closet and returning to the breath. I feel like that is actually, yeah. a, it would be actually a really good topic. It needs to be a thing. It needs to be a thing. <laughs>